Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you that you breathe new life into us. Thank you for all of your gifts. Thank you especially for the gift of your Son whose death and resurrection for us means that we have life with you now and life forever. Please be with us now as we spend time sitting under your word. Sanctify us in your truth, for this your word is truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do you ever feel like you're dead? You know that, oh no, that's good. I'm pleased to hear that. I'm talking about you know when you're physically alive but you feel dead inside. You When you feel lethargic, when you feel depressed, when you feel spiritually dead. There are plenty of reasons why we may find ourselves feeling that way or not. I'm glad if you're not. Uh, but if you do, you're not alone. Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. That was the cry of Israel in our Old Testament text this morning after God sent them into exile. Where they were at was a drastic, desperate low point in their lives. I think we can identify with that, with low points. They felt like they were dead. God sent them into exile because they were, they'd made his name a joke where they were living amongst their neighbours. While they bowed down and worshipped false gods and their idols, the people around them began seeing the God of the universe, their God and your God, as a laughing stock. God's own people and their witness to him on a daily basis showed that God was absolutely meaningless to them. Meanwhile, God's people were also spilling blood, spilling blood through their words, spilling blood through their actions, which equals murder. And if that wasn't enough, they were entering into all kinds of sexual impurity. It's not surprising that God's people felt like death. And the Bible tells us that the Israelites, though they were living, thought, or they thought they were living the good life, but they weren't. What they thought was the good life led them into exile, into hopelessness, into death, and on a path to spiritual death. They cut themselves off from God, the very source of life, through their willful disobedience and sin. Lazarus was dead and buried in the tomb in our Gospel reading. He wasn't yet a pile of dried up bones like I showed you and the kids, but he was well and truly dead by the time Jesus arrived. And even though Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill, Jesus hadn't come straight away as they'd expected him to. Now Lazarus was dead. His body wrapped up in cloth and the rock rolled over the opening of the tomb to keep the smell away and probably to keep the animals out as well. As we approach the valley of dry bones and the scene of Lazarus' death today, we are confronted with deep biblical truth that cuts through the layers. Like the Israelites, we can feel cut off. We can feel like our bones are wasting away. We can feel depressed and we can feel spiritually dead inside. And yes, there will come a day when, like Lazarus, we will all die. Every single one of us, you, me, we are all going to die. 
Now, some of you may not have given much thought to your own death. Others think about it on the odd occasion. Some of you think about it all the time. And others of you worry about it constantly. That's just what happens when you get a diverse group of people like us together. It's just how it is with humans. We think about it more or less. And today the Word of God tells us that there are worse things than death and dying. We talk and behave like dying is as bad as it gets, but there are worse things. Not to play down cancer or heart troubles or any terminal illness that you can think of that leads to to uh, physical death. These things are bad and they're a struggle and we need to fight against them, but there are worse things. Worse things that cause you, worse than the things that cause you the deepest angst and worry in your life and keep you up at night. Worse than relationship troubles. Worse than any financial struggles or the health of the world's economy, regardless of what our politicians say. Today, Jesus tells us straight, The unfolding story of Lazarus has a deeper underlying truth. He says, Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there. And here's that underlying truth, that that, that point that underpins this whole story. He goes on and says, so that you may believe. I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. According to Jesus, not believing is much worse than simply being dead. Not believing in Jesus is much worse than the sum of the things that create angst and worry in our lives. And that's pretty confronting when we live in a world surrounded by death and disaster at the moment. Jesus says unbelief is worse than anything that you've seen. And he places it right before our very eyes today. We heard it in Ezekiel's vision too, didn't we? Dry, lifeless, dead bones... And God paraded Ezekiel through that boneyard to show him precisely what the consequences were of the people's actions. And they were actions of unbelief and they were actions of faithlessness. Now as Jesus arrives on the scene, he's faced with a grieving Mary and Martha. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's subtle, but it's there. It's subtle, but it is there. Martha pays Jesus lip service. She pays lip service in that she calls Jesus Lord and speaks about how God will do whatever he asks, but she actually doesn't believe what she's saying. She doesn't believe what she's actually telling Jesus. It's just lip service. As far as Martha and Mary are concerned, their brother is dead. It doesn't matter that Jesus declares that Lazarus will rise again. It doesn't matter that Martha said with her lips, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. They were just words. For Martha, Jesus is too late and her brother is dead. What about us? We take hits, don't we? We take hits in our relationships. We take hits in our marriages, in our health, to our hip pocket, to our work, to our family, all over the place. 
We give Jesus some acknowledgement, some lip service, saying things like, God will see us through. But do we really believe that God will come through for us? Or does God become our fallback position with comments like, all we can do now is pray? Talk like that can only mean one thing. Our real help, whatever that might be, whether it's medicine or surgery or science or people power or counselling, can't do anything else for us. All we can do now is pray. In other words, we're dead. We're finished. Our hope is cut off. We respond just like Martha did. Jesus didn't arrive on Martha or Mary's schedule and he doesn't always arrive on our schedules either, does he? But he was always going to arrive. Jesus' work happens in his time. Certainly God does work through such means as medicine and science and community and counselling, but he also reserves the right to surprise us and open unexpected doorways according to his plan according to his purpose and according to his timing. God is full of surprises. Full of surprises. And Jesus not only arrives on the scene, but he cares deeply about your circumstances. When Jesus arrived at Mary and Martha's place, the Bible tells us that he was deeply moved and that he wept. But it's also much deeper than we might think. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And again in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. Jesus is deeply moved, all right. He's angry. This is a rare occasion where English isn't able to translate what the Bible's saying very well, but Jesus is angry. That's what it means. He's not angry at Mary, he's not angry at Martha, he's not angry at Lazarus, he's angry that Lazarus is dead. He's angry because he's standing face to face with the realm of Satan, which is death, because it was never meant to be this way. We were created and designed for life in complete communion with God and with each other. We were never created for death, never. Jesus hates seeing people suffering under these circumstances. He hates to see you suffering under these circumstances. He hates to see dry, dead bones and he hates to see people suffering death, be it physical death and especially spiritual death. He hates it. It makes him mad. And so Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. This same life-giving, creative word had the dead bones rattling in Ezekiel's vision and then that same creative, life-giving word covered those bones with sinews, with flesh and with skin. This was God breathing life into people who were dead in their sins, breathing his ruach, his breath, his spirit and reanimating people for real life. This same life-giving breath and spirit comes from the mouth of Jesus today as he speaks and summons Lazarus to walk out of the tomb. And he was alive. That same creative word of Jesus is yours today. It's for you. Know that. 
It's what reanimates your life in the kingdom. I hope you heard it in the reading today. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. God breathed life into dry bones, into Lazarus, and he pours his Holy Spirit into you and into your life and into your situation and into whatever you're facing right now today. It's a cause for us to sing God's praises, isn't it? And to glorify him for his amazing gift of eternal life. Life now, present life reality and future life. Eternal life. Now, instead of glorifying God, the chief priests and the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus when they see this. Little do they know that God will not have his glory taken from him or God will not give his glory to another. Even Caiaphas, the chief priest, gives glory to God unwittingly, saying to the enemies of Jesus gathered around and plotting against him, You don't realise that it's better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish? He didn't say this on his own, the Bible says, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. One thing Caiaphas didn't understand. He didn't understand why God sent his son into the world. He didn't understand that God sent, the Father sent the son to save the world. But Jesus knows that his mission is to overcome death once and for all. And the welcome surprise is, the way God surprises us is that he's right on schedule and he's right on God's schedule. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Because only the death of Jesus has the power to reanimate our spiritually dry bones. Only Jesus can rescue us from our sins that are rooted in unbelief and redirect us to his life-giving power. Only Jesus can overcome death for all those who believe in him and look to him for real and authentic life in his kingdom. Jesus gives life and he gives life that can see beyond cancer He gives life that can see beyond terminal illness. He gives life that can see beyond anxiety and beyond worry, beyond financial burdens and world economies. And another thing is that Christians who live in these promises of Jesus glorify him and they give him a great reputation amongst their peers. Jesus said to Mary and Martha and he says to each one of us today, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, says Jesus? Only Jesus can smash every layer of death to pieces, be it physical or spiritual. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is your life and he is my life. 
It's the life we share in now, not just when we die. Eternal life for the people of God begins at the baptismal font and goes on for eternity. It's not something that only kicks in after you die. It's a present reality. Yes, there is physical death that takes place. But just as death couldn't hold Jesus in the tomb, it can't hold those who are united to him in baptism and faith. And that glorifies the Father. It magnifies Jesus and it gives honour and praise to the Holy Spirit. It does. That's the work of God and they glorify him. God is glorified through the death and resurrection of Jesus for his people, for you. He's glorified in his victory over Satan and death. He's glorified when we live like he matters the most and make much of him in every aspect of our lives. He's glorified as we live in him and he's glorified as we die in him because even though we die, we will live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? In response to the life that God has breathed into our spiritually dry bones, in response to how by being filled with his spirit and reanimated for authentic life, living as authentic people in the kingdom of God. How can we glorify God in our lives this week? Amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus who is the resurrection and the life, your resurrection and your life. Amen.